Cool. A new version of Java is available. Great. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is why I don't make music on my computer. Right, seriously. Welcome back to Norelco Mori. I'm your host, Ted Butler. 
Tonight, we're joined by Montreal-based artist Carl Fosick. Carl, welcome to the show. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having me. We opened with a track called Second from your Pattern Variation cassette released on Dionysian tapes. We'll have a link to that in tonight's show notes, which you can find at norelcomori.com slash podcast slash episode 52. Gear-wise, what, what kind of stuff are you using uh, in your setup for Pattern Variation? Pattern Variation was, uh, it was a Eurorack modular, and at the time it was mostly IntelliGel modules. Um, yeah, if that makes a difference. Uh, and it, that was the only recorded piece of music that uses the mono LF, which uh -huh. is a really weird piece of gear that I played a lot with live before recording that tape. And then, um, yeah, sat down with the same patches I'd been performing with and uh, had one patch going on the synth and, uh, yeah, basically recorded the whole tape, which is why all the tracks just have numbers because it's variations in the same patch mm. um yeah and the alef is doing a kind of it's like synchronized uh, i don't know what to call it it's like a, a long delay that kind of gets randomly accessed and pitch shifted and it's kind of like messes up the audio but in real time and in unpredictable ways next thing we're going to play is uh your collaboration with arby or what the hell is this even called? Uh, somehow for, commissioned. <laughs> somehow commissioned number two, uh, Texture, which is out on Denmark's Finery Tapes. Uh, track is called Abricots. Abricots? You say Ab Abricot. Wow. I mean, I, okay. I shouldn't be speaking French either, so. <laughs> it's, it's like apricots, but with a B, Ab
That was a track called Four from Fosick Hansen Tellier Craig from their No Sound Without a Misunderstanding cassette released on Spring Break Tapes. Whenever, whenever I talk about my music, I always just kind of default to like a list of gear or something. And, and then later I'm like, oh, people probably don't know what that is, or maybe I should explain them more. I appreciate that, though, because uh, <laughs> I care. And that's, you know, I, <laughs> when I had Mike Haley on uh, last year or whenever, um, I, that's what I wanted to talk about. The, the gear. gear. Yeah. Talk yeah. I gear. mean, we can. We can get into you know, like detailed module discussions if you want, but <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love that stuff. I also don't love it because uh, I think I could probably make this music with any, you know, synth gear or something oh, or, you know, something. Something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I meet a lot of people who are like way too hung up on what specific module they should buy or like, oh, how does that sound? And it's like, well, really depends on, you know, what kind of music you set out to make in the first place. <laughs> you know how to use the thing. Sure. Or, you know, exactly. Like, I could use my same kit to make a bunch of acid techno, but I don't. <clears throat> but it's, you know, it's, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's only interesting up to a, up to a point. And I don't think people should know. I don't think, like, a potential listener needs to necessarily know anything about what the equipment is to enjoy the music either so true yeah sometimes i feel like there's a uh i don't know how to put it but people don't know how to talk about the music or how it makes them feel or something like that and so they default to just discussing what kit it was made on mm -hmm. but well that's that's how i do it and why I mean, I, I totally, I totally am that guy online just looking at all the new stuff that comes out anyway. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm totally a gear nerd, but it's also not the most important thing too. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Although if the thing comes with like a black faceplate or a black panel or something like that, then it, my interest is peaked and I immediately feel like, oh, now I'm extra inspired to write something. Uh, so like, you're a pro black panel person? Because I have friends who want all the panels to look the same and, you know, won't get a black panel because it doesn't match the other silver ones or whatever. Well, I mean, not not even just in Euro, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Korg just announced that new monologue synth. And uh, are they I doing a black version of that? There's a bl there's a, a whole bunch of colors. They've got a gold okay. one, a black one, a blue one. OK, I, I have I have not seen this. I think it was just this morning uh, that they released pictures of it. But the thing looks, you know, it's cute as hell. But yeah, if there's a $300 synthesizer that does some sort of weird shit in there, and all those, those cork things have some weird parameters that you can really get creative with, uh, aside yeah. from like the normal, you know, oh, it's an analog synth bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah I mean, uh, I, I thought the mini log looked cool. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. I've never really played with like the Volcas or whatever. I I've touched them and they felt really cheap, and I, and I was just like, eh, I don't need this. Same, <laughs> but yeah, the I mean the Minilog. I think I liked the way that thing felt, and I I've just like played with it at Perfect Circuit out here, uh, but it it does some weird stuff, like cool. being, yeah. being being able to sequence parameters and you know record all the knob movements and stuff like that into yeah that and it had a, a, a ring mod and a delay like you don't usually see those things built into the little sense like that yeah yeah it's like i guess these new guys are 300 bucks and i don't like i haven't a... i haven't read the details yet but huh. if it okay. if it's not going to take up a lot of space on my desk <laughs> And it's got a pretty good chance of getting on it. I pretty much have a no keyboards policy in my studio, so. Uh, you know, I don't have the, a no keyboards policy, but I actually just have no keyboards. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, w I think I could benefit from being able to play a couple of notes intentionally every once in a while. Right. Especially with the guitar-based stuff that I do. Right. Yeah, that's, I don't have that, so I don't have to worry about that. No intentional notes over here. <laughs> Fuck notes. <laughs> oh, I use notes all the time, just not intentional <laughs> ones.
Carl Fosick there with a track called Rook Positive 2 off their Clang cassette, released on Denmark's Finery Tapes. Before that, we heard a track from Carl's Codicil release on Adhesive Sounds. That track was called 3. I'm just going to try and grow my Eurorack, because I've been uh, deliberately using a really small one for several years now, and I've finally kind of reached the limits of what you can do with, like, three U, I guess, or one row. Yeah, um, yeah. Because what ends up happening is I just pull a module. I, I buy them. I still buy them. I just have to figure out how to fit any given <laughs> configuration into a small case. And so it's gotten to the point where it's silly and I just need to get, I think six U is really good because then I don't have to drag guitar pedals out to gigs or anything. You can do it all in one box. That's really appealing to me. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, I mean, you just get a nice pedal board and then... Yeah, but the, and then carry uh, that. Those are heavy, and then I'm carrying one suitcase with the synth and one suitcase with the pedal board. And... <laughs> oh man, no! I want one. I want to carry one box to the show, plug it in, and have it play, you know, relatively complex music, and then you know, go home. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice because when I first got into the Eurorack synth gear, it was really good, but it all, there was no effects really. Uh-huh. And now it's just bonkers with like all the computer chips and stuff that they can fit in there. Yeah. And all the stuff they're coming out with. It's uh, 
and the guitar pedal like they're that ADAC company is doing electroharmonics pedals like inside your rack modules now and it's just like there's no reason to own other oh devices. I didn't even realize that yeah it's gonna be really cool they're doing the um uh, it's like the organ pedals the mm-hmm. kind of like pitch track uh there's one that's an organ and one that's a mellotron they're doing those as modules I think the oh. organ one just came out and uh probably they'll go from there now, those guys make some beautiful looking stuff the red and the, the black and the that weird tan beige colored panel and it's just yeah. so gorgeous so nice yeah 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 the, the organ module is black you'll like it nice. <laughs> <laughs> Those uh, those pedals are really cool actually because they're they're meant to they're kind of meant for you to play really clean guitar tone in and you get this kind of cheesy like pitched up organ sound out of it, hmm. but if you sand it a bunch of like garble, it just creates this amazingly dense uh, like weird cloud. Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> it'll, it'll be cool to have those racked in your synth. My Euro is really just the the nine U of Make Noise. I guess like an expanded. Yeah, shared you, system you have a it's like the all single manufacturer i mean when i i wanted that i had a, a full intelligel system like two years ago and it was cool and i really enjoyed it up to a point and then i felt it didn't get weird enough or something i don't know i just yeah. other modules came out and there was no single company that i thought made a full system that i really wanted so i just got over it and now it's just a mix of stuff uh-huh. Um, although I do have every single mannequins module. Oh, nice. nice. Which, those ones are incredible. I think those are probably my favorite uh, out there right now. They're really kind of forward thinking, I think. In if a weird I, way. Yeah, if I had the the extra cash, I would definitely get, <laughs> get those guys and, you know, the, the teletype module, a couple of yeah. other monome things just to... Just to be I able had, to integrate that nicely. I had the teletype, and I actually the the one another tape was recorded with the teletype as the main sequencer. Um, uh, and I also recorded another thing that's not out yet with the teletype, and did hmm. some shows, and then decided it wasn't really for me. I have this fascination with these small embedded computer uh, things that are like pretty complex computers inside discrete boxes and then hook up with the other analog gear that was the appeal of getting the alef as well but every time i get one i realize how much work it is and how weird the workflow is with them sure and and i what i really realized after using the teletype was i just the regular analog synth workflow is what i like the most Mm -hmm. like where everything is a discrete element in the system and then its function changes based on how it is linked up to the rest of the system as opposed to you know how it's programmed yeah and i know those things sound similar but they're kind of different when you're like in terms of the speed of making something or realizing an idea or something like that so so yeah i think it's all just like pretty simple synth stuff for me from now on hmm. like i really appreciate something like uh the i just got this pretty recently the herb verb from make noise oh yeah which is like, yeah, it's got some pretty complex DSP going on in it, but you can't program it. It does its thing with its defined set of parameters, and you have to, you know, morph those parameters and get different sounds out of it. Yep. So, I mean, that's my favorite model, I think, for digital embedded in hardware. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's... A, but I, I still always get fascinated by the more complex things. I don't know why. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll resist. I've been looking at this <laughs> ER ER three hundred one sound computer thing, which just looks mental. Yeah, it does. And at first, I was interested because I thought, oh, it's you know, it can do sample looping and kind of like interesting music concrete and stuff like that, which it can. But then there's all this other stuff, like it has a reverb in it, and it's like overly complex. You know. Would rather it just did that one thing with the sample chopping or something. Right. I yeah. Could, I could have a reverb somewhere else in my system. I, you know, I like the really deep stuff like that, but it, you know, because it kind of reminds me of you know having a all-in-one, you know, groove box type solution to something where 
you can kind of do enough to create an interesting piece and exploit the you know the various ceilings in the unit because you get so familiar with the thing um yeah just using one thing but yeah you know when you have to kind of get into that mindset in in the rack then yeah i kind of I, I can see that it would take away from you know the immediacy of all of that and yeah also that works against you kind of as a distraction to actually like put the time in to really get to know that one particular workflow in the in the right and super then, a, deep module at a certain point what is the rest of your like, your rack system adding all it's doing is modulating the parameters of this complex computer and then yeah. at that point you're like well i just program some lfos into it and throw it in a box and it can just be its own music making device <laughs> like what you know it, it's an octatrack or whatever like why does it have to be in your synthesizer right so i think right. there's some value to these things having yeah like some boundaries to their functions their compatibility or whatever yeah. but th there's enough people who want to have computers embedded in their modular systems to, that's true that someone's going to spend you know 900 dollars on it but this is exactly why i have all make noise modules and right. like if you like it's like an acoustic guitar uh, of synthesizers you know you have to play the thing I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, that's been my approach. I, that's the reason why I've deliberately had a small synth rack for a long time is that I thought I didn't want to approach making music as if I was a producer. I wanted to be an instrumentalist. And yeah. so I was like, I have a small instrument. I need it to be complex enough to do a lot of different things, but simple enough that I can learn how to use it and learn how to bend it in different directions and and to you know remember how to play it when i'm on stage uh, <laughs> yeah so so it's been really and i think finally i've reached the point where it's like i can go a little bigger and it's not going to be overwhelming but yeah but it has to be designed in such a way that it carries that carries on that kind of philosophy of the thing as a discrete instrument and not just yeah. this like you know intense music studio in a box or whatever right in reason in in real life <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's it's a weird loop right you have some software that emulates some real studio and now you have some module in your synth that emulates the software emulating a real studio yeah nope yeah. kind of makes me shake my head yeah <laughs>
That was three tracks from Binary's four-way split number one, featuring a sculpture, D. Hansen, Glia, and of course Carl Fosick. Before that, we heard Isotopes 3, a track off of Carl's first release on Finery, Relative Position of Figures. Talking about the synth as an instrument, I mean, most of the tapes I've done, most of the recorded music up until more recently has been just like, you know, two-track live takes that are then edited, but it's not a lot of multi-tracking, it's not a lot of uh, arrangement. Or if, if it is, it's all done in real time. Yeah, same. same. Um, yeah, I mean, part of that is just the frustration of, you know, editing a really complex piece of music in software. Like, even if I was to record all the parts and then the actual act of, you know, editing or the, the compositional act of editing is it just drives me crazy when it's all laid out in front of me and I can move it around endlessly. So there's something really nice about being locked into the decisions you made at the time of you were listening to it and playing it. And when I first got into the analog synth gear, uh, I was really, I was really struggling making a lot of music with just my laptop and getting trapped in that kind of like layering too much stuff and just like throwing plugins at everything. And it was just like this terrible kind of ambient soup music that really didn't need to be out there. Uh, so it was really refreshing when I first got the synth and could just make a, you know, it was like, you know, how to draw one kind of arpeggio into an interesting thing you'd want to listen to for three minutes or something. So mm -hmm. it's been fruitful. And I really just, once that clicked for me, I've really been following that. But the the One Another tape and the next kind of album that I'm putting out are, um, they're both things that had a little bit of multi-tracking going in on them because I wanted to bring that back a little bit. Again, running up to, against the limits of what 3U can do. But. On One Another, though, it just, it, it sounds really nice texture-wise. Um, but also just the amount of space that it has is fantastic. And that really, really long fade uh, into the second second piece, that's so great. Yeah, thank you. Um, that I, I, on that piece I used, uh, I mean, it was just a couple of really long takes of synth sounds that were multi-tracked together, but not meticulously edited, just, you know, each track doing its own kind of long drone or random thing but mm -hmm. it was multi-tracked so like could set it up to you know match but then there was also a, a some of the stuff was processed through a max patch that um was a kind of like spectral delay thing like it broke the frequencies up into eight bands and mm. delayed them differently and panned them in the spec in the across the like left right spectrum so i think that contributes to some of the spaciness of it I, I feel like the last couple of years I've had a pretty consistent workflow of like playing things live and working through ideas that way and then coming home and using the same patches and recording some kind of, you know, cassette material for that, mm -hmm. even though it ends up being different often, but yeah. stemming from the same ideas or in the, stemming from the experience of hearing it, you know, on a PA in front of people. It's very different. Yeah. Which is, I mean, which is great just because you kind of now have this voice or a particular style that's, uh, you know, it relates to what you were doing previously. So there's a, some sort of common thread between all of that stuff. Yeah, I think so. I can see it. Uh, people often comment that the live shows sound really different from the records, and they do to an extent. But I, for me, I can hear the through line mm -hmm. and all the thoughts. But... Um, I mean, part of that, I think, is I'm very aware of, uh, like, recorded music requires a different kind of attention span, so uh, things tend to get edited down to little, like, almost like pop songs, in a way. Uh, I'm trying to break out of that a little bit. The One Another tape was a attempt to be more of a long kind of drone piece kind of thing, yeah. and I'm moving more in that direction, because I love, I love, like, side-long immersive electronic music tracks where you just yeah. get lost in this thing. Um, well, a lot of the stuff that's on uh, Codicil and uh, the other one, relative position of figures, like the, all the like they're 
just like a collection of little interludes, like all of those. Yeah, they're like I little could, mini. I could, I could listen to those like over and over again, you know. So it's like if something like that happened to be seven minutes and not a heck right. of a lot is actually happening throughout that seven minutes, as far as variation goes. It's just something about, you know, the the mood it's creating that. Yeah, you know, the, the repetition just kind of gets under your skin and you're, you know, listening to something else all of a sudden. I definitely could have done it like that, I think. I mean, uh, part of the the thing with those is they were recorded. Uh, I hadn't had a lot less experience, especially experience playing live. One of the things with playing live is you have to make sound for 20 minutes at least. Yeah. So <laughs> when I was recording those early tapes, it was uh, I... Uh, didn't have a lot of experience sustaining that for a long time. And I also was really nervous because I was recording it all live, no overdubs, so like uh, just a two track. I was really, really nervous that it would get messed up or that I would, you know, make an error. Like there's all kinds of recordings from those sessions where it just stops after a minute because I fucked up and then I just hit <laughs> stop recording, start it over again. So if it, got, if it got to like three minutes of listenable audio that sounded uh, like it was a little song, I would just be like, yes, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> and so, yeah, those tapes are just a collection of the best of those kind of like, you know, one to three minutes. I mean, I think one of them is like 18 seconds long or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just the ones that worked the best. Um, and then since then, I've just gotten better and better at being able to, yeah, sustain the sounds. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot more about patching too and be able to patch something that I don't know like continues to shift in a way that is listenable or like doesn't shift into something totally unlistenable <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah I mean I'd, I'd love to just have a thing that is I mean part of it too is I run up against the limits of uh, um like the recorded medium like I'd love to have like hour-long tracks of things like it just set up I'm gonna start doing this when I have uh when my synth is a little bit bigger again I guess the limitations of a small synthesizer but when my synth is bigger I want to just start setting up processes that I can you know leave running for hours yeah Yeah. like you know go shopping leave the house have it record see what I get I'd love to put out really long pieces but my ambition like my ambition for the last year or so is to record things that'll work on vinyl because after so many tapes like want to do a record just it seems like the prestigious thing to do sure regardless of whether yeah regardless of anything other than just it's a yeah prestige move but uh uh, you you totally run off against the kind of like 18 20 minute mark you can't make a track that's longer than that true which is kind of bad (laughs) <laughs> like for something that's really immersive you want at least 40 minutes to an hour of like a process i think if you really want to get lost in it yeah but there's these uh new things the uh compact disc you can get uh quite a few minutes i think the 68 <laughs> 74 somewhere around there 80 80 minutes yeah i, I heard that's a thing <laughs> <laughs> seems like a good idea Oh man, I don't know. You can get more Carl Fosick at carlfosick.com. He's on Twitter and Instagram as at analog01. Check tonight's show notes for links to his recordings. If you'd like to hear your recordings or your label's music featured on the show, please get in touch via email. You can reach me at norelcomori at icloud.com or norelcomori on Facebook. Additionally, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. My username there is at tedjamesbutler. Part two of this episode is an hour-long cassette mix that Carl's created for us, featuring Canadian sound artists such as Sarah Devachi, Carolis Coverdale, Roger Tellier-Craig, and Pulse Width, among others. They'll be up later on this week. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. We're going to wrap up part one here with an excerpt from One Another, released last month on Norelco Mori's in-house label Limited Interest. If you missed out on this tape, which sold out remarkably quickly, then you might want to make sure you've joined our mailing list at tinyletter.com slash norelcomori. We'll be repressing this one real soon. Mm-hmm.